Dee, dee, dee. Dee, 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 dee. Jan, I got some bad news for you. Oh, I love when we start out like this. We still don't have a sponsor, so the music, <laughs> we have to sing it ourselves every week because we don't have any money. So we've got to sing our own intro. Are you okay with that? La, 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 la. I think we could do that. I mean, who needs sponsors? Well, you know, we would, we would like a sponsor. We would, because then we could get our music back. <laughs> How are you? You know, I'm good. The world is, you know, it's a pretty surreal time for me, to be honest. I am, and, and hopefully everyone can humor me, I just was hoping to talk a little bit about the process of grief, just because I'm four months in, basically, with my mom's passing. And I'm telling you, I am more surprised every day by the inner workings of grief and how it continues to surprise me. I feel like I I do really, really well and I'm going along and I feel like, oh, I, I feel better. I think I'm on the other side of this. I feel like I'm coping. I feel like I'm being more social, you know, accepting invitations to go do things. I've started, you know, reading books again and um, just being more interested in life. And then, honest to God, Arlene, I feel like I go back 25 steps in the course of a few hours. Sometimes it's the middle of the night. Sometimes it's when I'm in the back of a taxi. And um, it's surprising how little control I have over it. And I'm just curious if you've ever experienced that maybe with when your dad passed away. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely have. And I, I feel for you, Jen, because it is, you think that you've got it under control. And I think... I really believe that when generally when you find yourself overwhelmed by it, it, it's it's small things that remind you of the person you've lost. You know, like it's a small moment. It's never it's never a big thing. It's just it's a song. It's a scent. It's a it's a sensation. It's it's all these things that kind of come and you go, oh, they're not here. And I remember for the longest time when my father passed away. I would still go to pick up the phone to talk to him when something had happened in my life that I wanted to share. And it took me a long time to shake the fact that I couldn't communicate with him anymore. So I had to figure out new ways to communicate with him, you know, in my thoughts and my prayers and in kind of just, you know, paying respect to him and, and how I remembered him. But I think grief is we push it down. I mean, we're told to push it down. We're taught to put it away. And and I think I think you do need to grieve. I think it is it is good for you to allow yourself the moments that you're having because without that you you don't really grieve properly and i think you carry it with you for a long time and i think we are meant to remember the people we loved and feel for them and 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 respect them and and grieve for the loss of them but also embrace the joy that we had with them. And I, I think with you and your mom, you were so close, Jan. I can only imagine um, how that feels. And I, I don't think there's anything unusual about it. And I think it's very common. And I'm glad that you're letting yourself experience it. Well, I don't really have much choice, I don't think, Arlene, because it just comes, it's just upon you. You know, you, you think about a formal education, you know, young people that are sent off to school at six years old and they spend, you know, the next 12 years basically learning, you know, this academic 
prowess, learning how to read, write, add, subtract the sciences, you know, running around a gym, throwing a basketball. I mean, these things that really seem to, to be unchanged over the last, God knows, I don't know, 80 years, 90 years. We aren't prepared for anything practical. I, I feel like formal education needs to change so drastically to actual real life skills. I'm probably being really sappy right now, but I feel like, you know, when I graduated at 18 years old, I was so ill-prepared for life. I was so, I didn't know anything. I wasn't taught anything practical. You know, algebra didn't help me navigate the world. Reading, yeah, well, of course, reading signs, what bus to get on, yada, yada. But I don't know how you feel about that. I, I just feel like it's got to change how we approach the academic nature of, of education so that people learn how to be people and learn how to deal with stuff. I feel like we're so ill-equipped. Yeah, no, you make a really good point because, I mean, I'm curious. I'd love to hear from you kind of the moments that you've been experiencing and what happens. I, I'm assuming it's an overwhelming sense of loss or what? what is it you're feeling? And then I want to come back to this notion of education. But let's stay on, you know, you, you wanted to talk about grief. Tell me, what is it you feel? Well, I mean, obviously it's crying and I never try and hold it in. It only, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I try and hold in crying, it, it hurts my eyeballs. Like my throat squeezes up and um, it's not a good feeling. So it actually feels good to just cry and have big tears rolling down my face and, you know, kind of have snot coming out of my nose next to a perfect stranger on a plane going somewhere. I don't mind that. And in fact, you know, I was flying, you know, a month ago and the woman beside me, I don't know if she knew who I was or not. She just she asked me if I was okay. I had my headphones on. And I said, oh my gosh, yes. I said, I'm just, <laughs> my mom passed away months ago and I'm still kind of doing it. And she was very kind about it. She just said, oh, I totally get it. So I'm never embarrassed about crying. That's not it at all. But I don't like the anxiety that's coupled with it. I don't like the fear that gets wrapped around grief. So grief in and of itself, the word itself is a bit deceiving. And I know thousands and thousands of people go through this every day because thousands of people die every day and they lose their parents, their husbands, their sisters, wives, kids. Um, but I'm, I am surprised. I didn't, I wasn't sad about my dad. Um, I didn't do this with my dad. And so there's guilt involved with that. I'm like, Jesus, you didn't feel bad about your dad dying. But my mom, um, it just kind of comes, but it's, Maybe that's my point. It's wrapped up in all kinds of things that I didn't think were associated with grief, Arlene. Jan, to me, you know, it's funny when somebody, when a stranger shows me kindness, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you'll be talking to somebody and they'll just be so kind and looking into your eyes and paying attention to you and, and showing a kindness, even though you don't really even hardly know them. When somebody does that to me, almost always I cry. Like, I, I, I feel this, like, it's because it's like it's bringing back the memory of the kindness of my of my my dad and the things that I lost in terms of somebody who cared for me unexpectedly all the time, you know. And so, not that his, his kindness was unexpected, but somebody who cared for me all the time. And so when it comes unexpectedly to me through a stranger, that, that brings back some of the... I guess the hidden grief that I'm feeling. Do you ever feel like, do you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, has anyone ever just been so kind to you? Well, the kindness of, the kindness of strangers is, is always very 
surprising. And that's sad in in many ways that we tend to get overwhelmed by that. Even when we see an act of kindness, we're all, you know, things like that go viral because they are rare. You know, we're so kind of desensitized. We see, you know, horrible things, you know, these young punks, whether they're, you know, um, harassing a, 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 an unfortunately homeless person, or we, we see things like this that go viral. So when something good goes viral, we're all so taken aback by it. And, and we find there's millions of people watching these acts of goodness, whether it's a police officer taking his socks off and giving them to someone who needs them. Like I remember that story going viral like a year ago is this police officer stopping, untying his boots and giving this guy his socks. Um, and yeah, th- those types of things always give me a lump in my throat. They always make me want to cry. And, you know, certainly, you know, just sitting beside that woman on the plane when I started crying, uh, she was kind. Um, she wasn't offended. She didn't seem perturbed. She didn't seem to think it was weird. But I also took the time. I didn't say, oh, nothing. You know, a lot of people, you know, will shut it down. Or uh, I was very happy to say to her, I lost my mom. And I, I was doing pretty good, but now I'm not doing very good. What, what's happened to kindness? You're, you raise a really good point, and it's, it, it, is, it seems like if we're kind to somebody, we're, they're either suspicious of us or we don't know how to do it without like, being worried that they're going to think we're doing something, you know, we're, we're being inappropriately close to them in some matter. So it's, kindness has really started to fade out of... I, I, listen, that sounds so absolute. I, I believe that there are a lot of people that are incredibly kind who who get up with goodness in their heart every day and do good things. And thank you for those of you out there who who practice kindness and and think about how they treat other humans and strive to not get upset about little stupid things. Uh, I'm very grateful, and I think that helps. Kindness helps your grief. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Kindness helps your grief. It helps you deal with it. Because you end up compartmentalizing, in other words, and you you don't deal with it, and you break down as a result. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, any rate, I are you are you feeling like you're getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Well, I think I'm doing really well, and then I kind of get sideswiped. But I also am grateful for it, and I'm pr- not saying anything new. But I read somewhere that grief is such a gift because it means you love somebody. And in my dad's case, when I think about not crying over him, I still haven't cried about my dad, really. Um, And I did love him, but I didn't like him. And I really loved and I really liked my mom. So my grief is a gift because in order to feel grief, you must have loved profoundly and openly and opened yourself up to love because that's the whole point of being here to begin with. Yes, we have our work, we have our tasks, we have our jobs to do. But really, the the basic, what propels human life forward and what propels us to want to keep living and to survive and and what I think has made us you know, still be here 300, 400,000 years later is our ability to care about each other and to love one another. It's a pretty big thing. Jan, you, you were talking about that you have heard from people that grief never ends and that you always feel the same, but that's not been my experience. I mean, my experience when I think about my father, who I was very close to, I think I was as close to my father as you were to your mom. And 
you know, when when he first passed away, it was very difficult. It was everything you're describing now, and it did take a long time. And now what I have is a, a sense of, I, I just think it's just a sense of, of peace about him and and his memory. And I don't feel... I don't feel the same level of grief. I just feel a sadness that he's gone, um, a sense of who he was, um, a, a gratefulness for what he gave me. But I don't have the the level of grief that that has that has. I, I think that has settled. I think I have you know over time. I've I've uh, you accept it. You start to understand it more fully, and and I think it's different. So for me at least, it's been different. It has not gotten better. Is not the right word, but it hasn't had the same edge to it that feels over insurmountable, right? Yeah. No. And I and I totally think it's going to be fine, and, and it's going to be fine going forward. I'm just surprised by the um <laughs> the the vastness of the different feelings of grief and uh, and and how weird it is i know that's a silly word but it is so weird to have my folks gone and i'm sure our listeners are going jan <laughs> for crying out loud you know i know i've talked about this a lot uh with everyone but it's um helped me so much to actually be very vocal about this and be vocal about the the experience and I and I hope that it helps other people too. I, I think a lot of people feel like socially they can't that they shouldn't share things like that. And there's always this elephant in the room. I'm glad when people come up to me even these four months later and say, "I was so sorry to hear about your mom. Like I really like it. I, I like being able to talk about her." And I know you have to use your discretion. Maybe some people really don't want to talk about it, and you have to use common sense but I myself really like that yeah listen I we all deal with grief and love and death and everything differently and so I think you have to embrace whatever way you can deal with it and so I I I respect that I I actually really respect the fact that you're so willing to share and I, I've said this before, but, you know, you do talk about your grief and your mom and what happened. And you are prepared to talk about, you know, the fact that you've got, you know, it's not running down your nose on an airplane. Although I think that <laughs> might be a little far. You don't really. Very descriptive, well, Jen. Very descriptive. The, when, when it was happening, I, I didn't have a tissue and I took the barf bag out of the back of the seat because I was just, I needed something, and I kind of ripped it into little pieces, and then the lovely flight attendant, bless her, she got me some tissues. But I think it's good. And, and getting back to this whole thing about, you know, how we educate our young people, like I, like honestly, when I graduated, I was so ill-prepared to make good decisions for myself and it had nothing to do with my parents. My parents did the best they could. You know, they prepared me the best that they could, but my formal education included nothing that would really truly help me in my life, in my actual life. And I think that has to be amended somehow. You know, they try and do it. They try and do it with sexuality courses. They try and do it with, um, you know, things like that, that are of paramount importance as young people go and embark on a life out there without, you know, their parents guarding them all the time. I, I just feel like we've got to change how we, how and what we teach people. Well, it's, 
you know, let's, I don't know, like, I think back as you're saying that, I'm thinking back, okay, what did I get out of my education? I mean, I, I learned basic math, which was important. You know, I, I, yes, fa- I, 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 I failed. Yeah, I'm not saying that. But but I think if you're saying, if you think if you're saying that we should add, um, you know, life lessons to education in the schools, there's a fine line between what a school should educate and what a parent and a community should educate. And I and I don't so just hear me out because I I do believe that there should be lessons on how to manage more than just you know math and reading and and science and the basic you know stuff. But you know we're not even getting kids into phys ed anymore, into music classes anymore, into you know home ec or some of these things. I don't know home ec or whatever they call it. Oh, yeah. You know. but well, yeah, but, home art shop. Yeah, uh, shop uh, pract- practical things. So and but we're not even doing that type of lesson anymore because those things have all been cut. So now you know is it the school's job to teach people how to deal with grief? I think I think death is something that should be talked about in school in a formal way in a group with with 30 kids in a class that you know maybe have experienced a grandmother dying you know kids go to school and it's just uh, you, you look at all the stuff that kids are going through there is something systematically wrong with how young people are dealing with anxiety. They say that anxiety now with young people, and I'm talking about kids that are as young as five, six, seven years old that are expressing anxiety, signs of anxiety, symptoms of anxiety to their teachers and to their parents. And it really is unprecedented what's happening. And I think it's because there are so many unspoken things. Political correctness has gone to the point where it is a detrimental negative thing to how we communicate with each other. So let me, as you were as you were saying that, I, I looked up a study. So I'm going to share something with you because I think, not because the study supports what I think, but it does. Um, but, you know, so here's a, a study that was done uh, on whether teens have the essential life skills they need. So according to a new survey, 60% of parents said no to that. Do teens have the essential skills they need? These parents worry their teens don't have the tools to handle stress, finances, or even taking care of themselves on a night out. So, and then they, the survey says, was asking people, what life skill do you wish your parents taught you? You know what the top 10 are? I can only speculate, but go ahead. Top 10 life skills parents fear their kids don't have. One, how to deal with stress. Two, how to budget. Three, how to deal with a broken heart. Four, how to save money. Five, how to pay bills. Six, how to drive a car. Seven, understanding what a mortgage is. Eight, how to look after themselves on a night out. Nine, how to change a car tire. (laughs) Ten, how to be independent. Jan, you just finished telling me that it should be taught in schools, and I I think it should be taught at home, much of this stuff. Uh, It's a combination, Arlene. I I disagree with you there a little bit, but I, I think... You know, the one that really struck me is how, how to how to deal with a broken heart. Yeah, right. And and I'll tell you a lot of times. No, parents don't talk know, about that stuff, Arlene. I'm sorry, know, they don't. They should. You know where, where you know where young people get all their information from? The internet, or they get it from their friends at school. And their friends at school are ill-equipped too because they're not being they're not being taught by their parents either. Yeah. I you know one thing I'll give to my parents is this. Uh, well, a my dad did teach me how to. To, to change a tire. He, he taught me when I was like 15, 16 years old and it, that came 
in handy. The other thing my parents always did, they always talked about death very openly, very candidly. It was never brushed under the carpet. All my friends used to think it was morbid. I'm so grateful to it now because it made me really resilient and it made me really appreciate life, which I always have. I've always been very optimistic. But the other thing is that they took us to funerals. You know, if my dad's business colleague died of a heart attack, he would drag us to the funeral. And, you know, we'd, we'd get dressed up. I remember putting on, like, our nice Sunday clothes and going to these funerals and sitting there being bored out of my mat. I remember looking at my dad. He'd be cleaning his nails with his pocket knife. But uh, So when you go down that list, there was a lot of things that struck me, but I still, I think... Uh, this a lot of this stuff should be addressed in in a formal school setting with 25 or 30 students that are able to talk to each other in a safe environment with you know a teacher that oversees you know that why can't that be included in a social studies class why can't that be i mean and never don't even get me started on human sexuality because that is such a an absolute crapshoot when people get out of school there there there's it, it's a shame how little kids get from from a really a reliable source as far as sexuality goes yeah i i, I don't i'm not saying that some of this shouldn't be taught in school i think i think you know there are there are some things here that should be in our curriculum and in you know, kindergarten to grade 12. But having said that, Jan, we're living in a time when teachers are, uh, too much is being put on the education system. You know, listen, I came from a family of teachers. My daughter-in-law is a teacher. Um, I, 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 I've seen the, the work and the stress that these people are under is enormous and they can't be the answer to everything. And so while I, I really do agree that some of the stuff is curriculum worthy, who is going to pay for it? How is it going to work? How are these teachers going to keep up? Their jobs are getting cut. Um, education, they're buying their own supplies for heaven's sakes. These teachers, they, they can't get stuff for their kids. They have to go take it out of their own money. And I'm sorry, they are not the most well-paid people on the planet. And so you have people who want to do everything they can to help set these kids up for success. And they can't even get the basic stuff to give them you know, the tools they need to just have the the regular curriculum taught. So, I mean, we're dealing with two different issues here. One is, you know, what should be taught in schools. Um, and two is, you know, whether schools are equipped with the right financial support and the right infrastructure to be able to manage. And then I guess I'd add to that the third thing that their kids are getting drills on how to deal with if somebody comes in with a gun into their schools. I mean, it's, I know. there's so much wrong with our whole system around education. And, and, and yet it's such an important – education's everything. It's everything. Mm-hmm. All I know is that people of the future, students of the future, will have – will have to have a different curriculum than what this is now because it is it is a breeding ground for misinformation, I think. Um, I, I, I don't think we're headed in a great direction, and certainly we see that in the, in the United States just with, like you said, there's d- drills for if a shooter comes in, if a live shooter comes in. I mean, back in my day, I'm sounding like I'm 500 years old, you know, we had a fire alarm twice a year. Fire, fire drill, sorry. But but as far as practical stuff, 
I, I still feel like even when I graduated, you know, 37 years ago or whatever, man, I was like a deer in the headlights. I got out of school and, you know, I, I fault my parents certainly. And I, I fault a, a system that let me down as a person. There's got to be, there's got to be a balance. And I, and, and you're dealing with the more pragmatic side of it. Yeah. Who's going to pay for it and things like that. I don't know what to say. Um, I don't have any answers for that at all. And I, and I know they're struggling with budgets, but man alive, we, we've got to start having really candid conversations with each other about this stuff. Because like I said, anxiety, that fear, like real serious stuff, there's kids medicated. They're on those benzoid drugs at super young ages, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, there's kids on Ativan and, and whatever it's, it's it's a it's catastrophic. It really is. I, I have friends right now that are telling me about their kids constantly. You know, my daughter has horrible anxiety. Not my daughter. I'm just saying. My my friend was telling me, and I know her daughter. And her daughter is such a creative, beautiful, open-hearted spirit, and she can hardly function in the world because she's so worried about the world. Well, that's because we we raised a generation of people who thought that if by the age of 18 they hadn't solved world peace, created a charity, gotten triple A marks and gone out and, you know, like also had a social following of a million people that somehow they had failed. And so I I hear what you're saying. I I just guess, you know, I, I... when I think back to my school, I said this earlier, but I didn't quite finish my thought, which was I learned, you know, in home, like I learned how to sew at school. I learned how to cook certain things in at school. I learned how to, you know, do wood burning you know, at school. I learned... I, I learned how to, I learned team sports. I learned drama. I learned, so I learned, you know, singing. I learned how to play the flute and some musical instruments. I, I was exposed to many, many things that opened my mind up to a variety of different, you know, potential future professions, potential future interests, um, you know, book club, drama club, chemistry club. Um, you know, there was so much we could do. And I... If I yearn for anything in the past, I yearn for those days where school gave you enough of a taste of everything and gave you some confidence about, hey, I could pick up a soldering iron and, you know, figure out how to, you know, um, put solder on a, you know, broken piece of, what do you put it on? Rods or whatever you put it on. I'm going to hire you to come to my house. You have a lot of skills. No, but no, but like I didn't use them again, but I learned them and I I hadn't thought about them until you said that. I actually feel like I got exposed to many things in my school. As did I. Arlene, the reason I'm in music is because of Judy Snyder, who just passed away last year. God bless her. Um, Who, we had a music class and... She would bring in her LP records and she would rent, not rent, you, you would sign out the, the, the little phonograph player from the library. I remember that, you know, property of Elbow Valley Elementary. But I remember sitting in there and her playing these records and I never, never turned back from that beautiful experience with her. Um, it was something that got under my skin and it had it not been for that, I don't, maybe I would have discovered it on my own somewhere along the way, Arlene, but that to me was a pivotal changing point. And I too learned how to sew. I too learned, you know, shop class. I mean, I laugh about it now, but our shop teacher 
had a glass eye and, and he, he was missing a thumb. So I, that always makes me smile because I don't know if he lost his thumb on the saw. I don't know if he lost, <laughs> lost his glass eye doing some kind of craft, but you know, I don't know if the kids even get that anymore because of cuts in funding. Remember that bring a child, they still do the thing where you bring a child to work days. I think they should have a, you know, for the parents who complain about what's going on at school, they should all make them go teach a class for a day. Like figure out what really goes on because I think it's tough. And I think it's it's a really, that profession, I have nothing but respect for teachers. Nothing but respect. I Well, you know, listen, when we were younger, that was likely the course of... Um, future we would take was teaching, right? Women were encouraged to be teachers, um, administrators, teachers, you know, like I, I think those types of professions because that we could use our, our, I guess, our God-given skills in terms of, of I don't know, why were we to asked to be teachers? I don't know. I just remember that teaching was a profession that seemed like it was an admirable thing for a woman to do. Oh, I, I, I had fantasies about it. You know, when, when, when you hear people's stories. I wanted to be a singer all my life. The stage was my dream. I wanted to be famous. I wanted this. I had none of that. I wanted to be a teacher. I, when, when I played with the kids down, down the road, I pretended to, you know, have a chalkboard and writing down, you know, I miss Richards. And, um, for anyone that's wondering, my last name is Richards. My middle name is Arden. So just so that makes sense to everybody, but yeah, that was my fantasy. And I never got there. I don't think I had the academic prowess to do it. And thank God, probably for the kids that I didn't end up teaching them. But I think I would have been good. You know what I wanted to be when I was in school? Can I try and guess? Yeah. I feel like you want to go in the police force or something. (laughs) No. No? I wanted to date a policeman, but I didn't want to go in the police force. No. What? That's it? One guess? Okay. It was police force... Or something to do with the stock market? Nope. I wanted to be a social worker. Oh my gosh. In the worst way. I I really wanted to help kids that I felt were, um, you know, and homes that I felt were broken. And I, I, I honestly, it came from a genuine place of having come from a fairly dysfunctional family and feeling like, you know, I could go out there and, and, and help kids that were not getting what they needed. And it also came because I was taught, you know, I was really raised to be aware of and to be empathetic and to think about what other people were going through. And I always wanted to be a social worker. And then I just, you know, kind of started thinking about it. And I thought I, I don't know if I could take the pain. And I don't think if I, I'm, I don't think I'm strong enough to be able to deal with what being a social worker would mean. And isn't that a, it's not because I, I wouldn't want to help. I just think I would break down. I don't think I have the, the fortitude of what that would be. I have, again, a, another profession that I think does so much good. I, I was, I'm still a Justice League person, Jan. I still am Justice League Arlene. Like I, I want to, I, I can't stand when people are being down, you know, like pushed down and treated like crap and, you know, don't have the same opportunity. And, you know, we were talking about this at dinner. My daughters and I were talking about this at dinner the other night. We were talking about, um, my, my eldest daughter said, why is it that people always give rich people things for free? 
They don't need. They don't, they need, don't need the rich things. They, they sorry. They don't need the things. They nope. have money. Why did they get stuff? She said it's so unfair. She said there are people that would die to get the best table or the here's a glass of champagne or you know we we we're sending over the dessert for free or whatever you know. Oh, I know. Right? And she said, it's so wrong. She said, like, what does Kim Kardashian do that she gets everything for free? She doesn't do anything. And I said, well, she she's an influencer. So when they give it to her, they're hoping she's going to say something about it. And, and said, they do influence a lot of people. I mean, but when, they don't need when it you for look free. at Kylie, I know they don't need, I mean, I, I know that. I've, I've gone to restaurants and the waiter will say to me at the end of the meal, the manager took care of your dessert for you tonight. Or the manager took care of, you know, your your beverages tonight. And I'm always, like, so blown away. I remember taking Dad for lunch. One of the last times I ever took my dad and and had a meal with him, it was one of the few times we actually sat, just the two of us. Um, but I had taken him to a vascular surgeon. He had vein problems in his legs. But I took him to, to a restaurant afterwards. And he ordered lobster mac and cheese. I remember exactly what he ordered. And french fries. And he had like two big Cokes. And he was in heaven. And he just said, oh, I just enjoyed that lunch so much. And he talked to me a little bit. And I just, I remember sitting there feeling like I wanted to ball my head off. But at the end of the, at the lunch, the, the manager came up and he said, you know, we're so happy to have you in. And is this your dad? And Yes, it is. And he says, well, we'd like to pick up your lunch today. And my dad couldn't get over it. Yeah. He said, I've never had anyone, you know, do that for me in my life. And he really had a little glimpse like into, you know, the world that I suddenly had found myself in. But I'll never forget how special that was. And we, we left a big tip. I mean, I think I left like 50 bucks. Yeah. I thought, you can buy me lunch, but I'm going to leave $50. And that made me feel good, too. Because I actually yeah. had 50 bucks to leave. My mom is the same whenever we go out and anybody, if anyone recognizes us and does anything, she's always just so, so proud. What that When I was having dinner with my girls, um, they forgot to charge me for the bottle of wine. So the bill came and and i looked at it and the waitress had been super busy all night and you know they they had brought us over like a glass of champagne or sparkling wine each and so i, I quickly took a look at the bill which i rarely do like you know i usually i mean that sounds think totally, about I, that for a second i don't Arlene. mean i, I know you i rarely I, I, look at the bill i i, I know I, I i fair enough you know that's a really ugh, i hate that i even you know, I, I do, I, I do, I glance at the bills and sometimes, like, I never don't look at all. I don't look at the bill, but I don't, I don't go over to make sure I've been charged correctly. I know what you mean. Right. So I, I glance at the bill. So I glanced at the bill last night and I thought, wow, that was really, that wine must have been really inexpensive. It was so good. Because you know? <laughs> they had picked the wine for us, right? They, I'd, I'd asked the sommelier to pick the wine. They'd pick the wine. They, the bill comes. I glance at the bill. And I thought, geez, that was really good for like that much money. And and then I looked and I took a harder look because I had thought that. And I saw that the wine wasn't on the bill. And so I called the waitress and I said, oh, listen, I think you've forgotten to add the wine on the bill. And she goes, oh, my gosh, I'm s- thank you so much for noticing that. They would have taken, they would have made me pay for that w- bottle of wine for sure. And that was just a pure mistake on our part. And um, I thought, uh, <laughs> how many people would have, so the opposite of getting things for free is, is How also, many people would walk out? And hope that. Oh yeah. Let so, me. but that that that's the thing too. Like, would would you not say anything? I would always say, "Listen, yeah, you forgot to charge me for blah yeah. blah blah." Yeah. I, there's just yeah. no way I would walk out thinking, "Ooh, I got away with something." No, no, no. Anyway, that sounds like I'm trying to like 
congratulate myself. But my point is, we get things for free, but not every like I don't expect anything for free ever. It's always just such a joy and a pleasure, and and I'm grateful. But my daughter is right. Like, why do we give the rich people? Things for free when everybody else should get the same treatment and the same opportunity. Well, and I just want to clarify: I am not rich. <laughs> I know that, um, like, what people's perception of me is always funny. I have a mortgage, like every other probably person on the planet. Um, that you know, I worry about. I, I, there, I worry about money. You know, at night in bed, I, I think about things that. I need to do. So I just, just from my point of view, there's that balance. And I think you do too. I don't think you have this exhaustive, you know, this unexhaustible uh, revenue stream. I think people need to realize too, that you have a lot of demands, you know, everybody pays a lot of taxes and, and I, you know, there's a lot of people that depend on you, Arlene, to keep working. Um, and I'm sure that weighs on your shoulders as well at night going, God, if anything happens to me, there's a lot of people that <laughs> are depending on my, my wellness. So I think... You know, I, I, sorry to interrupt you, Jen. I was thinking about um, this the other day that over the course of... I've been in business and in, in, in some form of business, you know, whether it's through marketing or through my my venture fund or invested in, in, in other things, the accelerator, et cetera. Um, I've been in business for 35 years, um, 30, 30, 30, no, I don't exaggerate, 31 years this year. And 31 years, and I was thinking about the money that I've, you know, the payroll and, and the things that have happened and the people I've employed and the past and thinking about kind of how, you know, I've been so fortunate to just kind of go through the highs and lows and ups and downs of running a business. And, you know, money money was never a goal. Money was always an outcome for me. Like at the end of the day, it was always about, like I was, I was as proud about the fact that I could employ people and, and do those things as I was about the money that that generated. Because many years... It didn't generate any money, um, but people got to keep their jobs, and and I got to you know um, be part of that. So I think I think the perception you know I think our wealth is relative. We are well you you know you say I'm not rich you know compared to ninety nine percent of the world you are rich, Jen. And and so I think riches is a is a is context, right? Yes, it is. But, and I, so, I mean, I have more than than I ever feel like I ever deserve. Right. I'm not saying that, but I, but relative to that, I I still have worries and concerns. I have people, a lot of people that work with me and and for me, and and so I'm always, you know, I can't just stop tomorrow. There's no way in hell. I I am going to be in the workforce myself. I'm at 57 years old, and you know, if I want the kind of life that I want, I'm looking at easy 10 more years in the workforce, but I love my job. So I've got that going for me and I want to keep working and I want to have a purposeful life. I want to try things and I want to be able to try things that my, my singing job can support. So it, it's, it's all about balance, but I, I just, I just want people to know how hard you work and it's not just, you're not just sitting back on a, uh, on, on your, Game of Thrones throne and having people feed you bonbons because I don't ever want people to have that idea of you because it's just simply not the truth. Uh, you work harder than anyone <laughs> I know. I've got a great thing. I've got a great Game of Thrones <laughs> quick quick story for you. So I, the office, I guess there was some big major 
like episode of Game of Thrones on. First of all, I've never seen the show, so oh, start there. Oh, you crazy! So, so I, I say that that my office, who's all younger, they're talking about Game of Thrones and the episode. And apparently, it was quite dark. The episode was dark, and they're talking about how they couldn't see, and they're all excited and they're yakking away. And I said, you know, I've never seen that show, and and the one the one young man who works for me, I mean. He's, <laughs> Young man, he's in his thirties. He looked at me. Says, "Well, he says, well, frankly, Arlene, I would have been really surprised if you told me you." (laughs) (laughs) What does that say about me? Well, (laughs) any rate, on that note, Jan. On that note. On that note, we're done. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go watch Game of Thrones back to back. Twelve. Thank you for letting me once again talk about my mom and how I'm feeling, and I'm doing better all the time, and then I'm not doing so great, but. Just a reminder, everybody, talk to your friends. And I always love talking to you, Arlene. Until the next time, this is The Business of Life signing off. Talk to your friends, everybody. Love.